Many people don't know how to relax. They're, they're hooked on adrenaline. They've gone way past, you know, just getting it done. Now they're just, we're just moving to the next thing, just hanging on to the next agenda. We're just really stressed. Everybody who lives in this city is stressed. Everybody's got more work than they can handle, more people than they can handle, more agendas they can handle, and less money than they can handle. <laughs> Everyone, every single one, this is amazing. Everyone is on the same page, and we're all stretched thin. We're all stretched and spread thin. And it's just, look at Job 20:18. They are unable to relax and enjoy anything they've worked for. Sound familiar? <laughs> they are unable to relax and work for and, and enjoy anything they have worked for. Here's the deal, my dear brothers, my sisters, my friends. God considers rest as important as work. God considers rest as important as work. God himself rests. God himself rests. Please think. This is a thinking faith. This is a singing faith. This is a living faith. Think. God rests, which means, does God get tired? No, God doesn't get tired. So if God doesn't get tired, but he rests, rest and tired are not the same thing. They are not connected. It's two different concepts. When God rests, it's not because he's tired. When God asks you to rest, it's not wait until you're tired. I'm going to drive that home right to the end. But think with me. When God rests, he means something deeper, something more positive. It's about a recharge. It's about come to me. It's about how he gives rest. I'm not talking about philosophy and living and styles of living and kind of, you know, you need to breathe and you need to take time off and you need to, you know, uh, empty your mind. I'm not talking about all that, all that. I'm not talking about that. that. On the human level, please, by all means, do what you have to do. For me, emptying my mind won't take very long. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Jesus is a shepherd. And the shepherd leads and gives everything the sheep needs and looks after the sheep. Are you with me? And the shepherd knows that the sheep need rest. And the shepherd gives that rest to the sheep. The shepherd doesn't give the sheep a manual and say, you must rest. It's important for you. The shepherd leads the sheep into times of refreshing. Are you with me? The shepherd leads the sheep. The sheep don't know. The shepherd leads the sheep. You don't believe me. Look at Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, so I have everything I need. He, underline, makes me lie down. He makes me lie down. In green pastures. And he continues and we'll keep looking at it every Sunday. Next Sunday we'll look at, he leads me beside still waters. What do sheep need? They, sheep need? they need the calmness of still waters. We'll talk about that next week. Today, we're talking about, he makes me to lie down. That's not violent. That's not violent. When you make someone to lie down, that's not violent. Most of us who are parents, we have tried to get our children into bed and out of bed. Yeah? 
but the mother already starts the process by 8 o'clock in the evening and the process ends at 10 o'clock in the evening when the child finally falls asleep and all the the, the gas comes out and oh, finally, finally the kid has fallen asleep. Fine. But the process begins. Why? You know, if the, she doesn't go to sleep, she won't get enough sleep and don't get enough sleep. She'll wake up in the morning, she'll be tired and cranky, won't be able to eat, won't be able to work, must, must get sleep. You, the mother, is saying that the child must get sleep. The father is trying to put the baby, he is, winning, he is, you know, and just when he falls asleep, the phone rings, you know that. Parents, when parents can be so dedicated to the fact that the children must get their eight hours of sleep, you must get eight hours of sleep, eight hours of sleep, must, everybody needs eight hours of sleep. And you expect the shepherd who knows his sheep and who watches you frantically run from pillar to post, metro station to metro station, office to office, when he, when he watches you running, do you, do you think he knows that he wants to lead you? He leads you to a time of... He makes you... Have you ever been made to lie down? Have you ever been made to lie down? If you were a baby and you were a child, you were made to lie down, it's a very parental thing. When you're an adult and you're made to lie down, it's a nursing thing. <laughs> he makes me to lie down. It's a matter of rest and refreshment. A metaphor of rest and refreshment. God makes you lie down when you won't slow down. When you won't rest. When you won't stop running. When you won't. When the child is absolutely restless, that's when the child is laid and, 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 and made to rest. Rest is often the difference between being blessed and being stressed. Rest is that it's that difference, it's that fine line between being blessed and being stressed. God rests, Jesus rested, and he wants you to do the same. He wants in his goodness to provide you a rest. Now you need to really think, what does this mean? Throughout the whole week I want you to think, what does rest mean? Because you and I mostly think rest means sleep. Rest means sleep. But rest is what God puts at the end of a cycle, at the end of a season. At the end of a phase, God has created absolutely everything and he created. God has created everything for a cycle, for a phase. Everything goes around. The seasons go around. There are periods, there are phases, there are seasons and then you come to a rest. Even in music, it's one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. It's not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine and it's already 2018. God has created your body to rest. Your body has been created for six days and to rest on the seventh. So it's not about tiredness. It's about cycles. It's not about fatigue. It's not about how much can I make this machine work. It's about a principle. It's about a principle. So we're going to look at how to relax in God's presence. But first I want to quickly go through why do people overwork in the first place? Why do we work hard too much? Why do we not get enough rest? Let me very quickly take you through some of those things. Number one, write it down. A misplaced identity. 
A misplaced identity. The number one reason why we are overworked, why we give ourselves overtly to our careers, to our work, to our activities, to our events, is because there is a misplaced identity. I'm not judging and I'm not making a blanket statement, but I'm identifying certain reasons. Identifying certain reasons. Number one, misplaced identity. Basing my worth on my work. Basing my worth on my work. Write that down and listen to me. We have been taught, we have been, we have been created, we have been uh, trained to think of our work and our worth together. If I work a lot, I am worth a lot. My net worth is more than my self-worth. My valuables are more than my value. We have got our what to do more than our who we are, much more important. And from the time we are born, from the beginning, we are taught that what we do is more important than who we are. And I want to tell you how devastatingly wrong that is. And why you overwork because of that understanding. Identity revolves around us. From the time the baby is born, from the time the child can speak and talk, the first question we ask is, when you grow up, what are you going to become? When you grow up, what are you going to become? Are you going to become someone important? Are you going to become someone famous? Are you going to become? Going to become. And in that moment, we have sealed the value in the child's heart that his worth is coming. He will become. His worth is coming. His worth is not in who he is now. And we have sold ourselves short. We have, we have taught the wrong thing to our children and to ourselves. Our identity revolves around our work. So we work, we overwork in attempt to prove ourselves. We achieve a lot. If I achieve a lot, if I get a lot, if I work a lot, if I achieve a lot, then I am worth a lot. Now, listen to me. Be, listen to me. The desire to be worth a lot, the desire to be significant, the desire to be valuable is not wrong. So the need is significant. The need is significance and the need is genuine. However, the method you go about doing that is wrong. Because what you're saying is, I will find my significance not in who I am, but what I become. So it's in the future. And it may or may not never happen. In my entire childhood, I'm told, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, you won't become, you won't become. You will not be worth. And by the end of it, the one whom you belong to, listen carefully, the one whom you belong to, that is what God created you for value, that, that you should get value from whom you belong to. The one whom you belong to tells you you're not worth anything because you haven't become something. And in that moment, you have... Ruin the child forever. The child will never recover from that. Because when the one who, from whom I get my value, because I belong to you, that's my value. That's how God values me. He's telling me that if I don't become someone, you will not be proud of me. And in that moment, you will never recover from that. There is no years of training. There is no counseling. You will never recover from that. And you and I are called to be the antidote to the, to the, to the community, to the, to, the, to the stage, to the age that teaches this to our children. Let me explain to you this. I, even if I stop at this, it will be fine. Who I am and what I 
become. The who I am is what is supposed to give me the value. Are you with me? My value comes from whom I am, who I am and whose I am. Got it? And my sense of purpose in life, my sense of you know, investment in life comes from what I become. What I become happens at about 20, 25, finishes around 60, 65. Then I check into counseling because what I thought I was for 30 years, I no, I no longer am. And now I'm struggling with identity crisis because I thought I was that for 30 years. Now I've given up my job. Now I've given up my work and therefore I don't have any worth. And they're going into counseling. It's called vocational therapy. Are you with me? Your value, your value, misplaced identity is what we're talking about. Your value, who you are, comes from whose you are. Now tell me, who has, where has God given that to you? In the beginning or at the end? Right in the beginning. Right in the beginning. As the, 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 the Pastor Sanjay uh, Day from, uh, from uh, Dimapur sends pictures, the baby is born. Baby is born. I started my breakfast, they said she's going into labor for the operation. I finished my breakfast and the baby was born. Three eggs later, the baby was born. And he's sending pictures to the whole world. This is my baby. This is my baby. I should write back and say, ah, she's nobody. What has she, she accomplished? What is she? No, what rubbish. She's my baby. The value is in the relationship. The value in whose you are. So God wants you to know that value comes from the relationship. Value comes from relationships. Value comes from people. Value comes from him. Misplaced identity is basing my worth on my work. Once you know who you are, then it gives significance to what you do. You're not listening. Once you know who you are, then it gives significance to what you're doing. But if you don't know who you are, what you're doing will rob you of the significance of who you are. It will rob you. Because at 65 when you retire, you will not know who you are. Only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out of work. Ecclesiastes 10, 15. Materialism is the second one. Write it down. Materialism. Don't worry, I'm not going to take so much time on each of these. Materialism. Always wanting more things. Always wanting more things. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 4 and 5 says, Do not wear yourself out to just trying to get rich. Because your money is going to just get up and leave like an eagle. Have you ever watched an eagle? The sparrows are flutter, 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 flutter all over the place. Huh? The birds, the birdies are all over the place. But the eagle is just sitting still. And it's there. And it's there. And it's there. And it's there. And it becomes part of your surrounding. And then suddenly, like it received a text or something like that, some brain, some, some message from some other eagle from some other planet, I don't know. It suddenly seems, suddenly, whoa, whoa, whoa. It just, take, your money is going to take off like that. Your property is going to take off like that. You have nothing that you can hang on to, hold on to. Materialism, always wanting more things. Jesus said, watch out. Watch out. Always be on guard against all kinds of greed. Number three, write it down. Envy. Envy is wanting to be like others. These are not, you know, bad traits. These are hidden drives. Get the difference. These are not wicked traits. They are hidden drives. You know what a drive is? A drive is on the inside something that makes you work. 
something that drives you, something that pushes you forward. Innately, inside, in your DNA, you're driven by certain things and this is one of them. Envy is one of them. Solomon noticed this problem thousands of years ago. He says in Ecclesiastes 4.4, he says, I've learned why people work so hard to succeed. It is because they envy the things their neighbors have. Number four, valuing achievement over relationships. Valuing achievement over relationships. When you put your career over everything else, including relationships, when your goals become more important than people, you are dangerously, dangerously living to get your worth from your work. And you will have to work a lot because of this philosophy of yours. Valuing achievement over relationships. Look at what Solomon says again in 4, 7 through 9. Here's another thing I have seen on earth that makes no sense. Some people don't have any kind kids or family or friends, yet they work obsessively, never taking a break. There's no end to their toil and they are never content with what they've done or earned. They're never content with what they've done or earned. They never ask, why am I always working to do more? Or why don't I let myself enjoy my life? And who cares? Who will get what I leave behind? What a senseless and miserable way to live. You're better off having someone to enjoy it with and share the rewards of your work. You're better off. <coughs> There's a fifth reason we overwork, why we give ourselves to work. A hidden drive why we feel we need to accomplish much more than we really need to is insecurity. Number five, insecurity. When I'm afraid, I won't have enough. In five years' time, I won't have enough. I'm afraid. In five, ten years' time, I won't have enough. When I finish working, when I retire, I won't have enough. My child won't have enough for this. My child won't have enough for that. We won't have enough. We won't have enough. Ecclesiastes 6, 7 says, We work to feed our appetites. Listen carefully. We work to feed our appetites. But meanwhile, our souls go hungry. We work hard to feed our appetites at the high cost of starving souls. He says in Psalm 127 verse 2, It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning till late night. I repeat, it is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late night, fearing and worrying. Underline that. That's your insecurity right there. You're working hard, but you're fearing and worrying. What? That you won't have enough. For God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. You give up sleep thinking an extra hour of work will ensure, will ensure, will ensure. No, sir. No, sir. No, sir. So how do I relax in the goodness of God? How do I plug into this shepherd of mine? And how does God give me rest? How does he... Speak rest into my soul. How do I get through this life knowing the real things, the real values? This is not about being a you know fanatical, spiritualistic kind of mystical kind of person. Always, you know, you know, so heavenly bound, you're not earthly good. You kind of like, you just, you just, you know, you you're escaping the the practical, pragmatic people look at you as those who are just escaping the realities of this world, the practical realities of this world. No, no, both are wrong. The ones who are on the ground and the ones who are flying, both are wrong. 
There is a shepherd that you plug into when you recognize you are his sheep. Your value comes from being his sheep and your benefit comes from being his sheep. When Jesus asks you to follow him, he promises to lead you. When Jesus asks you to follow him, he is committing to lead you. And when he deleads you, he will feed you and he will protect you. How do I relax in God's presence? Number one, remember my value to God. It's got to come back to that and I'm going to drive this home. Remember my value to God. This is the opposite of basing your identity on your work. Opposite of basing your identity on your work. What are we saying here? Why do you begin with this? I'll wait for you to finish. Remember my value to God. Why does God start with this? Because value comes from who you are, not what you do. So he seals the relationship first. Why do we say come to Jesus? Start your relationship with Jesus. Get into it. Commit to Jesus. Why do, we, why do we force that? Why do we get to that first? Why do we say deal with your sin? Deal with the offense? Get, get right with Why do we start there? Because once the relationship is in, the value system, the value system, the, the value is written on you once and for all. Then everything out of your life, everything as a result of your life will come from who you are. It will come from who you are and the value and significance will come from knowing who you are. How valuable are you? Well, the Father created you, Jesus died for you and the Holy Spirit lives in you. What more do you want? It's not what I do that gives me worth but who I belong to. And you got to believe that belonging to Him is what gives you value. The primary, primary theological issue that most of us have is not God, submission, judgment, religion no the primary thing is i don't want to belong to you i want to be my own thing that's the it's the, the primary thing between parents and children between god and people between shepherd and sheep the primary thing is will you belong to me will you be mine that's why number 1 remember my value to god remember my value to god some of you grew up Hearing you're nobody. You're nobody. You'll never become anything. You'll never become anybody. You're not worth anybody. And you've heard some very hurtful words. And those words still ring in your hearts. And you are still formed and informed by the words that were spoken into your heart. And that is why I reiterate that those early years when you hear the, heard those words, your value was set. Now you have to work harder and harder and harder and harder and harder and you're still waiting for somebody to come and say, that was not true. Actually, you're really valuable. Well, I'm telling you for free. 40 years from today when you've had three successful careers and you've launched this and you've launched that and you've made a lot of money and you are a grand success in the, in the, in the world's eyes, I'm telling you today, you're already valuable. Don't waste your effort. Don't waste your effort. Don't give your life away and then find at the end of it, you already had that value. You didn't have to work that hard for it and lose your rest over it. Realize what God says about you. James chapter 1 verse 18 says, God decided to give us life through the word of truth so that we might be the most important of everything that God has created. So that we might be the most important. Isaiah 49 says, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. 
Every morning, wake up and pray the prayer. God, help me to feel loved by you. Because that's what the real issue is. God, help me to feel loved. Don't pray, my father doesn't love me, my mother doesn't love me, that girl doesn't love me. Don't pray about that. Don't pray about that. They don't. Just settle. Get back to the one who really, really loves you and really, really has invested more than anybody else and say, Lord, I know you love me. I don't feel it. If I feel it, if I live in your love, if I'm embraced with your love, if I'm saturated with your love, I'm not going to look to anybody else for their love, for their affection. And that I won't hold them responsible and ransom for making me feel special. Did you get that? Did you get that? Let me say something in a controversial way so that I'm hit home. For the first time I might do that. God doesn't want anybody else to love you. God wants to be the one who loves you so perfectly that you don't need anybody else. So that you can turn around and give everybody else the kind of love with which they don't need anybody else to love them with. And when that kind of love has gone full circle, all you'll have around is people who are completely filled with God's love and your love. And there won't be any space for you to store any love that people have to give to you. Because you're already full of it. Did you get the whole circle? If you're needy, you're, stand, you're standing under the wrong tap. You're squeezing the wrong lemon. You just... Go back to God. Number one. Remember. Number two. Enjoy what I already have. Enjoy what I already have. You have. You have a lot. You're in the top 20% of the world's population. You have a lot. Look at Philippians 4. Verses 12 and 13. I have learned the secret of being content. Paul is saying to the Philippian church. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether I'm well fed. Whether I'm hungry. Whether I'm living in plenty. Or whether I'm in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. What is the strength that God is giving me? What is the strength that Christ is giving me? He's giving me the ability to stay the same. That I'm the same person when I'm tired. When I'm not tired. When I'm hungry. When I'm full. I can be the same person. You don't get this. Do you, don't, do you know what you like when you're hungry? Do you know what you like when you're full? Do you know what you like when you're tired? Do you know what you like when you wake up in the morning? We're different people right through the whole day. And our wife needs to get to know all of us. It takes a lifetime just to get to know all of us. Oh, this is me when I'm hungry. This is me when I'm tired. This is... <laughs> no. He gives me the strength to be the same person in any and every situation. I can be content. I can be content. So the question is, you got a car? Are you enjoying it? You have a house right now? Are you enjoying it? You have family? Are you enjoying your relationships? Because if you're waiting for something more to come along, you're going to do the same thing with that that you're doing now. And if you're not enjoying it now, you're never going to enjoy it in the future. So don't have so much hopes in yourself. Don't put so much hopes in a future anything. Ecclesiastes 4.6 A little food eaten in peace is better than having twice as much earned from overwork and chasing the wind. You've got to get to the point where you realize it's a value thing. It's not a vocation thing. It's a value thing. 
And if you're already valuable, Pastor Jerry, are you saying don't work hard? No, by all means, please work hard. I have two jobs. Okay? I'm saying work hard. But don't work hard for your self-worth. Work hard because you are worth a lot. Work hard because you're grateful. Work hard because you want to give God the best. But not because you're trying to get an innate need that the shepherd wants to give you in the first place for free. We work so hard and we overwork to get these things. And finally, have you, have you, people on their deathbed, and their deathbed, they're about to die. They're five minutes away from dying. They're five minutes away from you know, waving goodbye. In that moment, what do they ask for? Please, let me see that power of attorney one more time. Please, show me that car. Show me that. Can you, can you drive that car? I want to see my car one more time. Huh? Bring out those trophies. Bring out those trophies. All Hey, I think two are missing. Bring all. I want to see my trophies. No, 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 no. On your deathbed, you know what you ask for? Family. You ask for people. You ask for people. How sad it is that it is in the last few minutes we realize that people and relationships are the most important. <laughs> it's at the airport when everybody's with the bags and baggage and the checkout line is going long and that and the more. It's really nice to be with you. I know we, we could have wished we could have spent more time. Wish we could have gotten to know much. Always in the last minute, at the funeral, fellows face down in the dirt. Okay, he's gone, he's checked out. And you're like, we missed your wisher. He was such a wonderful person, such a this, such a that. He was such a. And then you remember all the good things which you couldn't remember during the time that he was standing up. Relationships, relationships. You got that funny phrase, they say, oh, he died penniless. He died without anything. Come on, that's the best time to go. finished Lord let's go he didn't die penniless he Ecclesiastes 3.13 all of us should enjoy what we have worked for we should enjoy what we have worked for it is God's gift what you have is God's gift and when somebody enjoys what you give them what do you feel like doing when somebody enjoys what you give them what do you feel like doing giving them more giving them more Jesus is saying, what am I trying to do here is to get you relaxed, to not be preoccupied with getting so much so you can respond to God's giving. Relaxation is a spiritual issue. Relaxation is a spiritual issue. Rest, resting is a part of trusting. Resting is a way to blessing. It is really something we all have to learn early in life. Young people, you are very young. You think you can conquer the world. You think your body can run nonstop without three days of sleep. The rest of us are here to tell you. That your body was made for six days and one day rest. Your emotions were made for six days and one day rest. Limit number three. Limit your work to six days. Limit your work to six days. Because God has created your body for a six day week, not a seven day week. And it's the fourth commandment in the Big Ten. Work the first six days of the week, but rest and relax on the seventh day. This law is not only for you, but for all the animals and for all those who are migrants, others who are migrants. 
We take the day off, but our servant still has to work. The servants still have to work. Exodus 29 and 10, you have six days in which you do the work, but on the seventh day is to be a day of complete rest dedicated to me. God, what do you want me to do for one whole day with you? I ask God that question when I try to, God, one whole day, a whole six days I was busy. Okay? And I prayed and I listened, I prayed. I recorded the prayer also. You know, you saw. <laughs> huh? I read the Bible, I prayed, and, and I was there with you all along. So now what do you want one full day? What do you want me to do with you? Have you noted that? He says, rest and relax for one full day dedicated to me. So you, you suddenly become mystical and spiritual about this and all. don't touch anything, you have to walk. No, it's about going into his arms and getting a cuddle for one full day. What does that look like? What does that mean for you and for me? It's all different for different people. But it's one day a week. One day a week. It's the cycle. When you stop doing what you were doing, when you stop working, when you stop living for yourself, when, you stop, when you do, you're not working on those agendas anymore and you set time aside to recharge and, ref, and, 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 and just be loved again and get your new definitions again and get your new values again and remember who you are so that what you do in six days comes out of who you are rather than what you are comes out of what you do. If you keep working seven days a week, you will forget who you are. You will forget who you are. So what do you do for one whole week? Sabbath was made to benefit man. Well, you rest your body, you recharge your emotions and you refocus your spirit. You rest your body, you recharge your emotions and you refocus your spirit. There's a whole message on that separately. I'll give that to you another time. Okay? So what does God want you to do for the whole day? One full day? Slow down and low down. Slow down and low down. Is your mind racing for six days? Slow it down. Are you racing for six days? Slow down. Bring, bring everything down. Bring all the volumes down. Bring all the levels down. Get in touch again with yourself and be with your shepherd. Go shopping with him. Go talking with him. Go to sleep in his presence. If you relax as God tells you to relax, you'll end up with more time. Proverbs 14, a relaxed attitude lengthens your life. Envy rots it away. A relaxed attitude lengthens your life. Number four is adjust your values. Adjust your values. To reduce the busyness in your life, you may need to change your thinking because your thinking has been work, worth, work, worth, work, worth, work, worth. But when your thinking changes, you'll be able to adjust, adjust your work as well. Make good. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his own serve? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Lastly, Number five is exchange my restlessness for God's peace. There's a relationship in your family that's a mess. Exchange that restlessness for God's peace. There's a person in, the, in your workplace that's been giving you strife and giving you stress. Exchange that. for Stop every week to exchange what you have that is stressful in your life for God's peace. And God will give you rest. He will practically give you rest if you sit down and focus on that. If you actually get it done with him. There are three types of fatigue. There's physical fatigue, there's emotional fatigue, and there's spiritual fatigue. Get this, don't miss this. Get this, don't miss this. So your spirit, your soul, and your body. Your soul is your mind, your emotions, and your will. 
Your spirit is who you are. What's going to last for eternity? Go to heaven with God. Your spirit, your soul is your mind, emotions, and will. And your body is that that matka you've been carrying around with you. Okay? There's a spirit, there's a soul, and there's a body. There's physical fatigue, there's emotional fatigue, and then there is spiritual fatigue. Which do you think God is going to speak to? Which do you think is going to be the gateway through which He pours His strength and His, 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 His peace through to you? Which do you think is going to be emotional? No, it's not going to be emotional. Is it going to be physical? No, it's not going to be physical. Is he saying to rest in those two areas? Yes, but it's going to start with spiritual. So you need more than a vacation. You need more than entertainment. You need more than sleeping. You need a relationship with the one who actually can inject peace and comfort and relaxation and values and definitions into your life. Jesus didn't say, come to my institution. He didn't say, come to my clinic. If you're struggling with anything, if you're heavy and uh, heavy laden, if you're if you're stressed about, it, he doesn't say, "Come to my church." He said, "Come to me. I will give you rest." Then he says, "Follow me," and follow me means come. I'm going to be with you. I will take you. I will lead you. When Christ asks you to commit to following Him, He is committing to lead you. That's a bigger commitment, by the way. By the way. So let's end with this. Jesus wants your relationship with him to be a place of strength and rest and endurance. I want to read this very slowly. I want you to follow with me that last text, Matthew 11, 28, 29, 30. I'm going to read it very slowly. Follow with me. Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhymes of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. <coughs> with every head bowed and every eye closed, as the video plays, renew your commitment to the Sabbath. Renew your commitment to the Sabbath. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, by the way, this principle works. But if you follow Jesus, you'll get everything he's wanting to give you. Fill the card. Decide what you want to say to us on the card. And as the offering comes to you, remember that God has given. Let's give back as if we're giving to God. May the Lord bless you.